Peter chapter 5. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have some in the back. Our friend Elijah, if you turn around, raise your hand, he'll bring you a, a copy of God's Word. We want to make sure that we're all in it this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word at home, let us know. Um, heck, you can take one of those with you home. Uh, we want to make sure that you are in God's Word because that's what we should do. We should read our Bibles. We should pray, share our faith each and every day. My name is Dean, pastor here at Family Church. We're thankful that you chose to worship with us today. Many other distractions and other things going on, like Elijah spoke about. Uh, you know, some of our congregation got raptured this morning, you know, but we'll welcome them back uh, next week. Uh, and uh, don't make them feel too guilty. I mean, a little guilt's okay. You know, hey, I missed you last week, but, you know, we'll see them back next week. And we're going to take a break after First Peter. And something Laura and I were talking about, that one of the topics that comes up when you talk about suffering is how, as Christians, we find joy in suffering. Consider it joy when you face many tri trials of many kinds, Scripture tells us. And it's, it's weird how can we experience joy in the midst of suffering? Well, we're going to take a few weeks and we're going to talk about the, the topic of joy. And we're going to look at how we have joy in God and how we have joy in sharing and serving other people. Uh, read with me 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verses 1 through 4. We're going to unpack this big idea this morning that shepherding is essential for the church. So our topic this morning is shepherding or pastoring or leading, how shepherding is essential for the church. So let's look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. It says, I exhort, exhort, it means highly encourage. I exhort the elders among you as, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears to you, you receive the unfading crown of glory. So here we see shepherding is essential for the church. And in these first four verses, we see that integrity undergirds shepherding. Shepherding, uh, leading in the church is impossible without integrity. And that's why you, if, you, if you back up to 1 Peter chapter 4, the last verse that Elijah shared with us last week is, is 1 Peter 4 verse 19. He writes, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, what's left untranslated in many of our modern translations is this, this conjunction un in, in the Greek. And what it means is, is there's a connection. Some translations uh, of un will say therefore or so. And so it, it's likely that the modern translators didn't put this in. They're smarter than me, so they know what they're doing. But they likely didn't put it in because they didn't see much connection with the, with the chapter before and this. But here's the connection that I see. He's, uh, Peter's writing to the church. He's saying, you're going to suffer. Trust yourself to the faithful creator while doing good. And since you're in the midst of suffering, 
I exhort the leaders or the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness also of the sufferings of Christ and who shares in the glory about to be revealed to shepherd God's flock. Godly leadership in suffering is essential. Y'all get what I'm saying? It's, it's essential. Y'all know we're all going to suffer for doing the work of God. We may not lose our lives, but we can lose a lot of other things. If you're in the business world, you know, sometimes doing the right thing doesn't always work. You know, your bosses want you to cheat, you know, and, 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 and do things to get around the system so that profits will go up. At school, you know, kids who are in school, there's peer pressure to do certain things, you know, to be to be in. I would say to be hip, but that would show you that I'm old because kids don't say hip anymore, you know, right? I don't even know what the modern Gen Z translation is for that. But uh, it, it, what we see here is that we are supposed to suffer well and suffering and, and, and suffering puts a strain on the entire community. So while we're suffering, God gives the gift of leaders. And what, what, what uh, Peter addresses here are the elders and shepherds of the church. And you'll see them called overseers as well here in a, in, in a moment. Shepherds, pastors, overseers, apostles, uh, prophet, actually uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Uh, that God gives all of these leaders to the church, and, and, and you can really look at all those terms, elder, all those things, even though they're different roles, it's synonymous with leaders in the church. And so what we see here is that leaders in the church are needed to, to show us the way to go. This, I mean, here at the very beginning, we're going to be talking about leaders. This is challenging to me, but it's also challenging to our church as we raise up other leaders. Uh, next month, we're going to try, we're going to try. <laughs> it's our, it's our goal to ordain uh, to Elijah. He introduced himself as director of student ministries. Uh, my goal and aim is that next month, he'll be able to introduce himself as pastor of student ministries, because that's what God calls us to do. We are called to, as, as 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, what you've learned and trust to faithful men who would teach others as well. That's what we're called to do. And in order to shepherd well, you have to have integrity. And that's why he tells them to shepherd God's flock. He reminds them that the flock isn't like, this isn't all the time. I get asked, my, uh, I think Ashton asked me this week, Dad, who owns the church? And I'm like, okay, well, the church owns the church. And he's like, no, no, I mean, who owns the church? Like, who owns the building? Who's the boss? And I said, well, the church owns the church. And he just didn't understand. I'm like, you know how you invest in a company? Like, if you're a member of the church, like, we own and manage what we have together. When we give, we steward God's gifts together. Now, you have to have a leader among the stewards, but that's what I'm called to do. But it means that we do it together. And here in a moment, he's going to address younger people in the church. And we see that both leadership and following go together in order for a healthy thing and a healthy body of Christ to grow. And so you shepherd God's flock. It's not yours. I don't own you. Like, I don't own you. It's you are God's flock. God has entrusted me with the overseeing capacity. And God will entrust as we appoint and affirm Elijah, 
uh, he, he entrusts pastors to oversee and shepherd a congregation. I want to put a little fear into Elijah this morning because when I read these verses, they scare the snot out of me. Uh, you know, we see that uh, James chapter 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that you will receive greater judgment. Congrats, Elijah. You know, like, <laughs> receive greater judgment. Furthermore, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. And you think, okay, that's a fun one for a pastor to preach. Shut up and listen. You know, like, <laughs> obey your leaders and submit to them. But here's where it goes on. This scares me. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Actually, remember that verse next time you're looking to criticize a leader, you know? Let them lead with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage for you. It says, pray for us, for we're sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. The author of Hebrews writes that. Keeping watch over your souls. 1 Timothy 5 verse 22 says, Don't be quick to appoint anyone as an elder, and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Lastly, 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. God has gifted us with leaders, but leading is not easy. Leading will, will, you will get criticized, you will be ostracized, because here's the thing, it's kind of like in the family, if the, if, if the enemy wants to tear apart the family, he comes after the parents, right? right? You know, if the enemy wants to tear apart the church, he goes after the pastor. Right. We saw it, I mean, I saw it growing up in the 80s and 90s, the televangelists dropped like flies, right? Right. And uh, it's, it's the enemy has always, and, and we see uh, addressed a few things in here, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't lead out of compulsion, but willingly. Out of compulsion means that they wouldn't feel that they're unworthy, reluctant to responsibility, that they do no more than what is absolutely necessary. I know a lot of churches that are suffering because their pastors only do what is absolutely necessary, which usually means just preparing a sermon on Sundays. And if you believe that all I do during the week is prepare a sermon on Sundays, uh, Chris is nodding his head, um, you know, uh, come, come spend a week with me, you know? It's, uh, there, there's a lot that goes in to being a pastor. You shouldn't do it like just to get by. It's not an unwanted burden. It's not a false guilt or fear. It's not an attempt just to please people. Now, this doesn't mean that pastors don't get tired and weary. I've actually never taken like a sabbatical as a pastor. I think that time will come. Uh, we've got to not be in the middle of a natural disaster or transition for that to happen. But I believe that'll come, you know, in God's timing. But it's, it's wise to even for pastors to, to observe some sort of Sabbath in their calendar, not even a, just a day off a week, but even uh, after 7, 8, 10, 12 years, uh, whatever that might be, taking some time off, whether it be a month or whatever that may be. Pastors should not burn out because when we burn out, we're, we're not unwilling, we're unable to function in the way that God has called us to function. Furthermore, pastors shouldn't be greedy for money. 
Uh, I have a degree in accounting and marketing. I could be making a lot more money. You know, I'm blessed to make what I make. Admin team knows what I make. Hey, I don't care if you know what I make. If you're very curious, come and see Kathleen, come and see uh, Ken, come and see Travis, myself. Hey, well, I'll screenshot the bank account and send it to you. You know, like I I'm not unashamed uh, for what I make, but I do, but pastors aren't typically paid like at the at the top of their craft you know i think the the few eggs bad eggs that are out there that have bentleys and massive houses and all this like uh taint the rest most pastors are underpaid and underappreciated that's not me but i believe that most pastors are Actually, it doesn't mean that pastors shouldn't be paid. Paul, in the New Testament, where there were times that he was paid, there were times that he made tents. Uh, you know, it's kind of like when we send missionaries on the mission field. Oftentimes, they're working other jobs. And, and I don't know if you know this, but uh, actually the Wellers remember me in these days. When I first became a pastor, I was also a concert promoter at the same time. So I had two jobs going. I'll tell you, it's very, very difficult. You know, <laughs> it can be done, but it's very, very difficult. Uh, it's a lot easier if you don't have to do everything. But, uh, but what we see is that uh, the appeal of pride and the appeal of money and the appeal of things, the greed that uh, seems to be good to our flesh can attack leaders. Leaders are called in First Timothy and Titus to not be greedy. Actually, First Timothy chapter three verse three says, and one of the qualifications for an overseer that they would not be greedy. First, Titus chapter one verse seven says that they would not be greedy for money. Furthermore, we know that the New Testament, First Timothy chapter five verse seventeen says the elders who are good leaders should be considered worthy of double honor. I don't know if y'all know what double honor means. It means actually double pay. Uh, it means uh, take what you make and multiply it by two and give me a raise. I'm joking. Uh, but what it, what it does mean is that it's okay to be compensated for what you do. It's not okay to do what you do for compensation. Does that make sense? It's, all, it's an issue of the heart. Money is not the root of all evil. Hate to break it to you, that's kind of, you're like, wait, what? The Bible says that. It says the love of money is a root of all evil. Money's morally neutral. What makes money bad, and it's a root, a root, not the root, what makes money bad is the love of money, right? The love of money. We can love attention, we can love fame, we can love many things. That be, anything that created that becomes uh, something that we worship like the creator becomes an idol in our lives. Yeah. And this is why pastors and leaders have to li live with integrity, not lording it over people, but being examples. Just as Jesus said, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Good leaders shouldn't demand honor. That's pride. That's pride. Good leaders should serve in a way in which they don't expect anything, but God provides in the midst of their service. 
and we see verse 4, it says, it refers to the Lord as the chief shepherd. This is actually the only place in the New Testament this word for chief shepherd is found. That's why, that's a reminder to me, and Elijah, you can, uh, this will sit with you as well. In fact, I'm not the, sometimes it's okay to call somebody a senior pastor or a senior leader or whatever, but the senior leader of our church is, is the Lord. And, and simply, whoever God places over the flock is an under-shepherd. They're not the chief shepherd, they're the under-shepherd. This is why we encourage you, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. Open your word. Go home and read it. Don't just trust what I say. Go home and feast on God's truth. Learn, learn to, to be more like him each and every day. Second point is this. So the first one is that integrity undergirds uh, shepherding. The other one is, the second one is humility undergirds shepherding. Now we're going to move a little bit past leaders at this point, but we're going to look at the interaction between leaders and those in the congregation. So let's read chapter 5. Verses 5 through 7. Peter writes, in the same way, this is kind of like a therefore, as shepherds are to lead good and with integrity, in the same way, those who are younger, younger could be younger in age, that's likely the translation here. Some people argue that younger means those who are younger in the faith or possibly even the rest of the congregation, whatever it might be. Those who aren't as wise with years and study and leading, those who are younger are prone to follow their own ways, right? If you don't believe that, uh, Elijah and Anna are about to learn that. They're about to have a kid. I'm picking on Elijah today, you know, but, you know, young people know, they know everything, right? You know, and, and you're gonna, your eyes are going to open, Elijah, because you're going to be like, wow, that was just me. You know, and then you ever seen your kids when you're raising them, you're like, oh my gosh, like that's a little me, like doing the exact same things that I did and usually worse, you know? And so those who are younger are tend to, tend to follow their own way. How many young people in college or high school, they, they know how to fix the world. Yeah. Does anybody know? Like, they know how to fix the world. They know everything. Actually, it, it, it constantly, I got to be patient with seminary students that come in town because they know how to do ministry. Yeah. You know, they might know how to do it in rural Alabama, but New Orleans going to eat you alive. You know, like, like it's, a, it's a real prepare here, serve anywhere. You've got to be humble to prepare. Yeah. You can't have pride coming in to prepare and to lead. In the same way, those of you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Next time you're in traffic, remind yourself of that. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares about you. Humility undergirds 
shepherding. We should follow the example of those who God placed in leadership. Paul many times writes in the New Testament, and when I was reading it when I was young, it kind of sounded arrogant. And not that Paul or Peter weren't ever arrogant. You read the Bible long enough and you'll, you'll notice that they're humans as well. Um, hey, and this points out that pastors and leaders aren't perfect people. Because read the New Testament, the leaders of the church, mostly they're a good bit of them, they're boneheads. Like, you know, they make mistakes all the time. Read Peter, read about the author of this book, Peter. We like to make fun of Peter a whole lot. Peter did a lot of silly things. Cut a dude's ear off, you know? Like, I mean, it's just, God places unworthy people in leadership so that we can see who is worthy so that we can see who is the one in which we should humble ourselves before, the one that will exalt us at the proper time. You see, Peter here is reminding them that, yes, you're going to be humbled, but there's coming a time where you're going to be delivered. There's coming a day, Revelation chapter 21, actually, Chapter 19 talks about it, the rider on the white horse coming back for you and me to make all things new, Revelation chapter 21. New heaven and a new earth that says we will know God. Chapter 22 says we will see him face to face. There's a a day that we all long for, and that day is coming. And actually, Revelation chapter 22 says it's coming soon. I think we lose that because here we are 2,000 years later, and we're like, all right, Jesus, when are you coming? You know, I thought you were coming in the 70s. That's what everybody said, you know? When are you coming? What to the Lord, what is it, a day? It's like a thousand years, right? He's coming soon. And humility means that we, we don't put the promises of God in our own time frame, but that we trust the Lord to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Humility equals trust. Humility equals trust. David Walls defines humility this way. Humility is is to be aware of your personal strengths and to be thankful to God for them. Humility is to be aware of personal weaknesses and to be dependent upon God to help you. Humility doesn't mean that you don't recognize what you're good and what you're not good at. Humility does mean that you don't brag about what you're good at. You use what you're good at to serve others and to lift them up. I've actually heard humility and honoring is like willingly suffering for someone else's gain. That's what humility is. That's what honoring is. Thomas Schreiner writes, humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Let me read that again. <laughs> Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. How many of you have ever been like like us and you're poor and y'all know uh, if you can't do your own oil, you've got to go get it done. And, uh, you know, it's gone up from like $20 to now, what is it, like almost a, maybe 100 bucks in some places, depending upon your vehicle. Five-minute oil change ain't five-minute oil change anymore. Now they're take five, right? And it, do, it, doesn't ta- it takes more like uh, 50 
you know, like it takes 50 of your minutes and it, it doesn't take $50. You usually multiply that by two. It takes like a hundred bucks, you know? And so like oil is, I mean, it's, it's, some of us put off oil changes, but then what do you notice about your vehicle? Starts to run kind of weird. You ever get that oil change immediately? You can tell, can't you? You can almost tell, you know, that your car's running smoother when you have an oil change. Humility is the thing that allows the church to function. Amen. So we humble ourselves, humble ourselves before the Lord, and we humble ourselves before others. And we humble ourselves by trusting in God. The opposite of trust is worry. Doesn't mean that anxiety and worry is not going to be something that even faithful Christians deal with. Hey, I when I became a pastor, I had Actually, I ended up in the ER. I'm a bigger dude, so I'm like, okay, here's my first heart attack. You know, I ended up in the ER, and uh, Laura remembers that night. You know, she took my blood pressure. What was it that night? I was ridiculous, like, you know, 160, 170 over something like crazy. And so she's like, okay, calm down. We'll take it again, you know, and took it again like 10 minutes later. It was the same. And uh, so we went to the hospital. And after a little bit doing all the EKGs and all that stuff, the doctor said, I think you may have had a panic attack. You know, do you know what a panic attack is? I'm like, no, a panic attack is for people who, who worry. You know, a panic attack is for people who are weak. You know, like I, I trust the Lord and all this stuff. And I had to very quickly humble myself. Talked with my doctor, he's Catholic, and uh, I was talking with him about being a pastor and I, don't, I shouldn't have to worry about medication. I should trust in the Lord. Here's my Catholic doctor says, have you ever heard of common grace? I'm like, oh my gosh. That's a term we learn in seminary and you know it. Uh, common grace means the things that God has given to all of us, whether we follow him or don't follow him. Common grace is rain that waters the soil. That we, Common grace is the things that we can perceive God's majesty in. It's not, it's, not, it's not specific revelation that we have as Christians. And so he said, if you believe in common grace, medicine's not the enemy. Medicine can be used by God along with faith to do his work. And so I had to humble myself. I don't mind telling y'all, I take a light antidepressant. I have to. If you don't believe that it's necessary, watch my kids for a week and uh, and you'll support, you'll say, hey, let's double it, you know, but um, there's nothing, there's nothing evil if you have a chemical or medical imbalance. That's what I'm getting at. But what is evil is when you use that solely as an excuse to not trust God. Because worry is rooted in pride. It's tough pill to swallow. Worry is rooted in pride. And you're like, wait, what do you mean? Worry means that we're the God over our situation. It means that we're, we haven't, if we don't do this, it's not going to happen. I remember I was struggling so much. There was like a, and I had an issue here about a year ago as pastor. Some of y'all know, like I, had a few Sundays where I struggled with my breathing and, and it all came back down to worry again. And I'm like, wait, I'm not worrying, but the body's funny. I think 
the hurricane and other things caught up to me like a year later, you know, and sometimes the body's just funny, you know, the mind's funny. But we should trust not only in the common grace of our doctors, but we should trust in the power of God. And I remember my first time suffering with anxiety. I didn't know if I could be a pastor anymore. And I don't know if Tim knows the story or Kathleen, but Brett sat across, Brett, who's uh, their son, uh, sat across from me on the couch in my house and talked about a situation he had when he was younger. And he said, you know what, Dean? I just had to learn if I got up and I fall down and I faint and I die to live as Christ and to die as gain. So God used not only medicine, but God used his power to help overcome that anxiety and that worry. God's power often works through other faithful men and women in the church who are using their gifts. Some of them have the gift of encouragement that speak life into us and help us to keep going. Humility undergirds shepherding because without humility, we're unable to follow. Let's say that again. Without humility, we're unable to follow. Lastly is this intentionality undergird shepherding. So what was our first? We said that integrity undergird shepherding, humility undergird shepherding, lastly, intentionality undergird shepherding. Let's read here and conclude chapter eight, uh, chapter five, verse eight through the end of the chapter. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered for a little while. I love, the, I love scripture because it doesn't promise all the good. It's, it's, it's real. After you've suffered for a little while, these things will come to him, be dominion forever. Amen. Then Peter closes his letter, letter with some, some greetings and some instructions like many of the New Testament letters through Silvanus. Silvanus is Silas. Uh, Silas, who was with Paul, and the second missionary journey through some of your translations might actually say Silas. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you to testify that this is the true grace of God. Silvanus is the one who